Dzień dobry Państwu, serdecznie witam w Centrum Edukacyjnym Polska. Dzisiaj na łamach Centrum Edukacyjnego Polska po raz kolejny dyskusja, w której będą uczestniczyć dr E. Michael Jones ze Stanów Zjednoczonych. Witaj doktorze. Hello doktor. Thank you. Thank you. A Good także to be here. Tomasz Łupina z Norwegii. Myślę, że głównie tematy będą dotyczące współczesności, ale na pewno będzie też sporo ciekawych informacji historycznych, a współczesność, no to wiadomo, wojna rosyjsko-amerykańska na Ukrainie oraz wojna syjonistyczno-palestyńska w Ziemi Świętej. To są dwa wydarzenia, które w ciągu ostatnich dwóch lat zdominowały no, życie polityczne. Proszę bardzo. Doctor, thank you very much that you actually found time for us, actually. Thank you once again. Uh, doctor, uh, we would like to do this interview with you, uh, this um, conversation with you about uh, uh, how those two conflicts, how do they match together? Because like by strange coincidence, when the war in Ukraine started fading away, uh, then this... Uh, Some of our commentators are calling this uh, Warsaw Uprising began in Gaza. Are there any parallel? Are there any connection with this? How do you think? What's your take on that? I think there is a connection. I think that it became obvious that the Ukrainians were losing the war at a certain point, that they reached a kind of crisis, uh, that the Ukrainian position was falling apart, and then suddenly the new war arrives, to distract everyone's attention uh, from that fact. Now, the question is, who, whose who's, uh, intentions are guiding this? You could say that Hamas uh, understood uh, that this was a good time to have an uprising. Um, we have similar situation in Ireland. The uh, rebellion of 1919 took place while England was preoccupied with the war in Europe at that point. Um, You could also talk about the, the Warsaw uh, uprising, where uh, I think that the Poles thought the um, the Russians were going to come in and help them in their battle against uh, against the Germans. Uh, so all those things are possible. And at this point in history, I don't think we can say who, who made the decision. But uh, looking at it from the outside, it's obvious. There's something else, uh, I think, that needs to be brought up here, especially with regard to Poland. I think that uh, just as in World War II, the United States position was to let the Germans fight the Russians until they were both exhausted and then enter the war. I think that something similar is happening right now. I think the policy of the United States is to use Europe to destroy Russia while at the same time destroying itself as a competitor to the United States. I think this applies to Poland, but I think it also applies more specifically to Germany. The United States wants to eliminate Germany as a threat to United States industry. This has never changed. This was the beginning. The, the English felt this way, and that's the cause of World War I. It was to eliminate uh, the German industrial threat to English sovereignty. I think the same thing is true today. And the best uh, proof of that is the, the United States blowing up the uh, the pipeline. So I think that w this war 
in the Ukraine has two purposes. It's to defeat Russia, and it's also to destroy Europe as a competing power. And I think that in the first instance, the United States has to admit that they're going to lose the war. And this means that the next uh, group of people that is going to be called to become cannon fodder for the United States empire is going to be the Poles and also all of the uh, the Baltic countries. Yeah, but I'm just wondering about um, uh, how does it uh, connect with this, what happened in in uh, Holy Land? Because like everybody knows that Hamas is uh, the creation of CIA and it was, you know, it's very much infiltrated by, by Mossad and other secret um, agencies of uh, Israel and, and state base, states, basically. So my question is whether, like, because at the moment, uh, the um, Palestinian, they're losing. They are really like, I mean, many, many victims, many, many, many casualties. Can, can I, can uh, I, can I interrupt you there? First of all, sure. I do not think that Hamas is under the control of the CIA. I know that the Israelis were instrumental in creating it, but this is also, it's like all irregular warfare. You can create it, but whether you control it is another matter. And I think the classic example was Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan. Yes, the United States created that guy, but it became a Frankenstein type of monster that took on a life of its own. I think that's what happened there. Secondly, uh, I don't think Hamas is losing the war. Now, we have to distinguish here between the civilian population and Hamas. The civilian population is enduring incredible suffering because the only thing the Israelis know how to do is to fly airplanes over and bomb civilians. That's all they know how to do. In order to get to Hamas, they're going to have to go into the tunnels. And I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it. They they can get on the ground. They are moving into northern Gaza. Uh, the Israeli troops are moving in. But even if, if you draw the line and say, well, this is as far as the Israelis have advanced, you're not taking into account the fact that on that other area, there's still the tunnels there. And the Hamas is coming out of the tunnels and attacking the tanks and, and the military vehicles, along with the soldiers. So it's it's not you have to take this understanding of this asymmetric warfare into consideration here. And I don't know how long uh Netanyahu is going to be able to maintain his position in light of universal condemnation by the rest of the world and in light of uh unhappiness among the Israelis. There are a lot of people who just feel that Netanyahu, the only way he can hold on to power is to create a war. And they I don't know how long he'll be able to do this. This is a question of time. So if Hamas can hold out until both of these things come together and Netanyahu collapses, that will be a victory. And I think that they can hold out in the tunnels because the Israelis are not going to go in. They're not going to do it. I just I just posted a video by a rabbi obviously a supporter of Israel, He, one of his students called him on the phone and said, last night we had three armored vehicles. Uh, as soon as the uh, Hamas attacked, everybody ran out and left the vehicles there. And then Hamas blew them up. 
because the, the Israelis had abandoned their own vehicles. This is the type of thing that is not being told in the news, and I think it puts Hamas in a much stronger position than we would think simply watching the news and the standard accounts. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. But as far as the uh, criticism about, for, for Israel, I've noticed that uh, usually societies like people of the world, like normal people, uh, they are strongly critical. I mean, they, their attitude is strongly critical towards Israel. You know, they called the spade spade. They called atrocities and war crime criminals, war criminals. But the governments are, I mean, very, very, very lenient towards Israel. Now I'm talking especially about Polish government, um, also, also United States. How actually, how could you explain that uh, that that thing? That, for example, yeah, like how Jewish lobby got such a big influence over over United States? Well, that's that's a long story. Let me answer. Let me answer the first question first. The, sure. What we have in, I would say, virtually every country in the world is the same problem, where the ruling class elite doesn't represent the people that elects them. I guess the classic, the worst example is Germany, where you have a complete, everyone knows that Schultz is a puppet of the United States, and yet the Germans can't, can't seem to, to do anything about this. Uh, we're now having, even when the you have a new government, let's say Holland, you know, the old, uh, the uh, Mark Rutte government was going to steal 2,000 farms and the farmers uh, rebel rebelled against that. New government comes in. This guy is supposedly a, a nationalist. What's the first thing he does? What's the first thing this man does? Photograph waving an Israeli flag. Same thing with Argentina. Have you seen Argentina? This crazy guy, absolutely crazy guy. He should be in an insane asylum. This guy, Malay, the first thing he does is go to New York and worship at the tomb of the Menachem Schneerson. So that's that's the fundamental problem. You you don't I, I the one exception I can think of is uh, Hungary, where Orban, from what I can tell, puts the interests of the Hungarian people above the interest of all of these international organizations, NATO, and all that type of stuff. And there are all kinds of people there demonizing him as if he's licking the boots of Vladimir Putin because he's defending the people. So I think that's the situation wherever you look. Now, how the Jews got control of the United States of America is the subject of at least two of my books. Uh, one is called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, and that's uh, three volumes. That, by the way, came out in Poland. Uh, 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 it's called... Uh, or something like that. It's a very poor translation. They should redo this thing. Uh, when I when I came for the Polish book tour for Libido Dominandi, which I think was a good translation, uh, that people came up to me and said, you've got to have, this is a terrible translation. It doesn't, it's like a, a, a third of the length of the book and so on and so forth. They really should do a, a better translation of this book. But I mean, basically what I'm talking about is I had to, redirect this entire discussion. I had to go back and resurrect the Catholic Church's traditional teaching. 
which the Catholic Church has pretty much abandoned thanks to the Polish Pope to a large extent. I want to share the blame. Let's share the blame between the Polish Pope and the German Pope. Catholic traditional teaching has disappeared. Secret Judeus non is Catholic traditional teaching, just as all the way to the time from Pope Gregory the Great. No one has the right to harm the Jew, but the Jew doesn't have a right to destroy your culture. One of the last examples of this was Cardinal Hlon's pastoral letter in 1938. I don't know whether you're familiar with Cardinal Hlon's pastoral letter. It's exactly the traditional teaching of the church. And now whenever anybody mentions Cardinal Hlon, they immediately call him an anti-Semite. That's, that's the problem. Uh, if you want my humble opinion, I just did a book called The Holocaust Narrative. Everyone's shocked uh, by this book because they expected a chemistry lesson about Cyclone B. And it's the end of it is about how Ratzinger imposed the Holocaust narrative on the entire Catholic Church. So that now I, have, I know nuns from Kenya who are now supposed to feel guilty because they're Catholics because of the Holocaust. This has to change. This has been the fundamental. So if you're asking me for the short explanation about how this happened, the answer is, number one, the Holocaust narrative, which became the myth of the American empire after World War II. And that, secondly, the Second Vatican Council, in which when Ratzinger took over the council and basically threw out all of the uh, preliminary documents and allowed the Holocaust narrative that would have imposed on Germany to be imposed on the entire Catholic Church. That that's the issue. Those are those are the main issues. You are mentioning uh, you are meaning Nostra Etate, I think. That's that was the beginning. Nostra, there's nothing. There's one problem with Nostra Etate. There's a sentence in there. It says the Church opposes all forms of anti-Semitism. What's anti-Semitism? They didn't define the term. So now you've got people who think anytime the ADL or one of these Jewish organizations says they don't like somebody, they accept their definition of anti-Semitism. This has been a disaster for the Catholic Church, a disaster for Germany, and I'd also say a disaster for Poland. Because uh, now you're guilty. This, this, this is exactly what happened. I don't know whether you know Yeshi Kaczynski. Do you remember Yeshi Kaczynski? The painted beard. The painted bird. He flipped the narrative. He flipped the narrative and said it was the Poles who were guilty for this. The Germans love that book for obvious reasons. Okay. Yeah. This is in my book, I describe how the Jews flipped the narrative. Okay. Uh, the narrative at the beginning was a Catholic narrative. It was people like Father Lenz wrote Christus in Dachau, 1955, and talked about all the Catholic priests, many of them Polish Catholic priests, who were in Dachau, and that suffering had a purpose and they were going to expiate the sin of atheism. Three years later, 1958, the Jews hijacked the narrative when they brought out Elie Wiesel's book, Night. At that point, Dachau stopped being the paradigmatic concentration camp and Auschwitz became the paradigmatic cancer cancer. But wait a minute, we're not going to talk about the Poles who were in Auschwitz. All we're going to do is talk about the Jews who were in Auschwitz. 
And their spokesman is Al Ailey Wiesel. And the moral of the story is God died at Auschwitz. So it's propaganda for atheism. This is, if you put all these things together, you will understand how Jews have taken total control over the United States of America, the Catholic Church, and, and, and of course, Europe. So I, I, I said, just to, just to bring this to an end, I, yesterday I had an interview with a, a, a personal hero of mine, uh, Michael Scheuer, who is a CIA agent. Okay, and uh, one of the few CIA agents who stood up to the Israel lobby. He testified before Congress and said, Israel should not determine the foreign policy of America. He was immediately boycotted, demonized, and blacklisted, and nobody ever heard from him since. So I said, I'm glad I'm on the show with you. Is there anyone at the CIA who represents American interest? I mean, maybe they'll come back and take the Jews' hand off the steering wheel. He said, no, there's nobody in the CIA who represents that anymore. This is part of the colossal failure of uh, American politics in this period of time. Yeah, I listened to this uh, interview. I mean, this this conversation of you and him. Uh, that's why I asked this question, because like from this, what he was saying, like everything, uh, every every main position in position of power in the United States is controlled by either by uh declared Zionists or by Jews. That's right. From your book, uh, Levita Dominandi, I was re- uh, I, I got, I learned that uh, there was the kind of alliance between wasps and Jews to to crush Catholics, to crush their mor- morals and, and uh, to, to take away the country. But then um, I'm not quite sure how did it happen that the wasps actually were put aside pushed aside by, by, by Jews, by their alliance. Very their simple. Ally. Very simple. What was the heart of the wasp Jewish crusade against the Catholics? It was birth control. It was sexual politics. Why were the wasps worried about Catholics? Because Catholics, let's say in 1947, right after the war, the Catholics were not using birth control. Anyone who uses contraception immediately worries about people who do not use contraception. And that was the beginning of the crusade against uh, the Catholics. The main, the main reason that they lost is demographic. They didn't have the children. I, 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 my, my son went to Harvard, which is a classic, a ruling class school in America. That's where the ruling class goes. Why were they after my son? He's a Catholic. Because you need to exist to go to Harvard. And their children did not exist. I'm saying it was demographic collapse that allowed the Jews to take over Harvard. They take their total control of Harvard. I don't know whether you saw the protest there about the Gaza war. Uh, uh, the Jewish donors, because they allowed uh, Palestinian sympathizers to protest, the Jewish donors are going to take their money away from Harvard. They have total control over Harvard because the ruling class simply did not reproduce. And so they went out of existence. And Jewish people didn't have that problem. Pardon me? And Jewish people didn't have that problem. They were reproducing. Well, they're not at that point. They didn't. Because uh, they don't need large numbers to control things. They have worked out strategies of controlling certain choke points. They've never, the only place where they had significant numbers was probably Poland. Oh, yeah. 
80% or 90% of all the Jews lived in or the pale of the settlement, which part, some, at one point it was Poland, then it was the western border of Russia, but that, that's where Ukraine, actually. Ukraine is the actual Jewish homeland. But they never, they yeah. never had, they never had the, uh, the control, that type of demographic power in, uh, the United States, but they were good at taking control of the media. Hollywood was always a Jewish operation. And then they, they broke the code in 65. It's in that, that's in the book too. And at that point, they took total control of the media because the Catholics couldn't enforce, uh, the code anymore. And so, uh, pardon me. Did you no, say I, I, I interrupted you? Sorry. Uh, go ahead. There were things. Did you ask for the Catholics or something about the Catholics? No, no. Uh, I I just interrupted you uh, when you were finishing your thought, and I interrupted you. So okay, all right. Well, I'm finished with my thoughts. So you ask okay. your question. So I, I'm glad you mentioned actually in Ukraine because uh, that did this was I mean this was the, the real uh, Jewish um, uh, homeland basically Khazar Empire. So from this, what I, from my travels to Ukraine, talking with people there, uh, there was, I met quite a few people there who were saying that this whole operation, this whole war, this like rambling, longering war is just to depopulate, to, to make them, um, to make uh, people get away from Ukraine, to, to, right. to make a place for new new uh settlers so when the war in ukraine started to like got this moment of of uh, how to say this stalemate um now the war in you in israel broke up broke out so basically what i'm saying is that finally in israel there is a pretext there is a provocation which actually could allow to send people from Israel to to Ukraine. I'm I'm talking about this because this already happened in history when there was in Iraq, uh, I was reading this book, uh, Sounds, uh, The Ropes of Sand, uh, where actually, where actually uh, there were, bo they were bombing in Iraq to, to, to scare Jews to, to go to Israel. And now Hello. the situation reversed. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It, uh, the Ukrainians are right. This is just another example of what I just said about Europe. The whole point of the, let's wait, the, obviously the war in the Ukraine was supposed to destroy Russia. Okay, but there's a second element to it, and that was to depopulate the Ukraine, basically drive the Ukrainians out of the Ukraine into other countries like Poland, where they will be a destabilizing element for Poland and even for Ireland. They're a destabilizing element in Ireland, Ireland now, right, too. So this is a collateral benefit of driving driving these people out. Uh, when they get driven out, there will be an empty country, and that's when the big Jews from Wall Street come in, like Larry Fink at BlackRock, and he will buy up everything at pennies on the dollar, and you will be left paying the bill. You, I mean, not just Poland, certainly. Ha, let me ask you a question. Has the, the, the sentiment changed in Poland? Are the Poles still rabid or avid to join the war and become cannon fodder for Mr. Zelensky? Do they still have this feeling? 
No, 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 uh, no, definitely not uh, as a nation. The interesting thing about Poland is also that we had elections uh, a month ago and uh, just before election, even the government start, be began more critical uh, towards the uh, Kiev regime and towards Jews, uh, in towards uh, Ukrainian um, actions in, in general. We have a big problem right now with, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Polish people, Polish uh, drivers, Polish truckers, they they are being uh, they they had this com competitors from Ukraine, and uh, Polish uh, truckers are really really going going down, uh, and they they started uh, even the blockading of of uh, Ukrainian border. Right. So th that actually created great resentment towards towards the Polish like. The Ukrainians started to um, protest on their side of border, and they were even saying like text, uh, you know, text uh, like kill the Lach. You know, Lach. It's a Polish. It's a pole pole in in Ukrainian, and uh, so so really they they you know they, they you can we can say that flip this the 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 script like from. Uh, Friends, we are just uh, enemies right now. I mean, the Poles are depicted in Ukraine as a kind of enemies who are actually trying to to stab their back. Also, that's the, the situation right now. So after the now we have the change of the government. Uh, the government's new government still did, didn't come to existence. Have it hasn't hasn't come to existence. So, so we don't have. Um, so they, they actually restrain from from this wholeheartedly support. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, and people who are who, who comments uh, analyzing situation in Poland, we have no delusions that once they in power a new government, they they do whatever the Washington say. Oh, See, this, we have to have a change here because Poland is the next is the next Ukraine. Once they destroy, depopulate Ukraine, then they're going to throw the Poles into the battle. And if they destroy the Poles, well, too bad. We, the United States wants to destroy Europe, a country at a time. NATO is a death sentence for Europe. And if the Poles get destroyed, the next people will be the Germans and we'll destroy the Germans too. We, this is the strategy. When are the, I don't know. Do you do you think are the elections fair in 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 Poland? Do these well, people are they rigged? Are they do do they steal the election? How can the Polish people vote to stay part of NATO? Is that simply Russophobia? I the last talk I gave in Poland was on Russophobia, and the, to the Polish people's credit, they listened politely. It was in Turun. They listened politely and and uh, indulged me, and uh, we had a nice discussion there. But I'm saying this is what's going to – this is just over the horizon. So as soon as I say that, all of a sudden the, the whole libido – when I was in Warsaw, they had this arch, and it was all charred. It was burnt. And I said, what was that? And he said, that was the rainbow flag, and the Polish group burned it down. Okay, that's good. That's a good idea. Okay, now the same group of Poles is uh, saying, uh, get rid of the Muslims and we're going to attack Russia. Wait a minute. Stop. You know, back off. This is exactly what's happening in Ireland right now. You got all these, Varadkar, who's a homosexual 
and an Indian who is now prime minister of Ireland, he goes on and says, there are too many white people in Ireland. What? What are you talking about? There are no white people in Ireland. There are only Irish people in Ireland and immigrants. And so as soon as I say that, I got all these Irishmen who are telling me that they're white. No, you're not. You, these are people who are internalizing the commands of their oppressors because they're not smart enough to understand what's going on. And they're playing right into the hands of Vatikar. That riot, I don't know whether you saw the riot in Dublin. My friend Gemma, she's there. She's a courageous lady who understands what's going on. She understands that Irish identity is not white. It's bound up with the Catholic faith, okay? She said the riots were a false flag. That makes perfect sense to me because now they're going to use the riots as an excuse for imposing hate crimes legislation on them. That's what's going to happen. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned Ireland because that was one of my questions uh, which I would like to ask you. So maybe we just finish this this uh, Irish um, Irish um, Irish um, thread. Basically, uh, that was my first impression because like, I remember I lived in Ireland for 16 years and uh, I had the honor to, to know um, John Waters and Gemma O'Doherty. Oh, good, I, good for you. Yeah, I remember their... Their carriages, their carriages, uh, lone fight against this COVID madness, this regime. Right. I remember also remember the rallies. I was at the rally uh, at that time against COVID. Though was the the guys who, were, I mean, organized by guys who were, you know, this was uh, yellow vests, you know. Anyway. Yeah. But what what struck me was that how meager was the response from the irish people from the irish society how uh how like you know because like that was the the fight for 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 the for freedom for for for, for the future of ireland and so many so few people come turned up for these meetings you know and uh and now boom oh straight like we have burning the burning buses we have people uh, shouting irish life matters and my question is where were you when the real, uh, I mean, real, when, when, uh, when this COVID madness struck? Where were you? So basically, that was, that was, that was actually my first thought that it's a flag operation because they, it was so, so quick, so fast, so strong, you know? Yeah, I think so too. So, you, can, you can go on my, uh, my Twitter page, my uh, page. And you can see the, the correspondence there. There are thousands, literally thousands of Irishmen screaming at me, claiming they're white. No, you're not. This is identity theft. I keep trying to say you're playing right into the hands of your enemies by saying this. And they're blind to the fact. And finally, one of them said to me, well, we can't use Catholic anymore as an identity marker because uh, most Irish don't go to church. I said, you you prove my point. That is exactly the point. If you stop going to church, you lose your identity as an Irishman. And they know that, and that's why they keep talking about this. Uh, they, they play right into each other's hands. Now, I have a question for you. Are the Poles white? Uh, well, we are Catholics. I, we are asking the wrong person. We are, I'm a Catholic, you know. And I, so I, know I, I know a Croat. Tom Sunich, 
Oh, yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, he thinks he's white. I said, Tom, when did you become white? You, you're a Croat. You speak that language. You were born in one of those places over there. And you were baptized a Catholic. When did you become white? And the answer is, he didn't, he didn't answer the question. I'll tell you the answer. You became white when you stopped going to church. Yeah, that's a good, 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 good take, actually. Good expression. But I would like to, um, come back to this, uh, hate crimes, because that was the first thing what this, um, what this guy, Varadkar, uh, said that, oh, we have to, we have to introduce the hate speech, hate crime um, uh, legislation. Uh, in Poland, we have already the first uh, fruits of this uh, regis- legislation, uh, first bad apples. Like, there was, um, there is a case in Poland right now of Polish patriot uh, who is the, who, who was a, who is a child, who was a child during the pogrom in Volinia massacre, and in the on the facebook he actually said that um, so he said this in polish it's it's it rhymes in polish znajdziesz się ki na banderowski which means we will find the the stick for for banderist uh, for bander banderof banderist uh, muzzle he used the word banderist he didn't use the word ukrainian he was actually sued by the the um, Ukrainian society in Poland, and he was he was sentenced to to prison for seven months. This is outrageous. Why can't you be against Stefan Bandera? He was a criminal, a war criminal. Yeah, exactly. This this so, this, ha- this happened before Father Oko. Do you remember the story of Father Oko? That's a classic example. That was goes back to the culture wars, where he wrote a book about homosexuals, and a German homosexual priest took him to court. And I, I was there. I, I, I was apprised of this story as it was happening. And then, uh, Oko cut a deal because he, I, I, I wrote to him. I said, I said, I, maybe I'm uncharitable, but I said, Oko folded like a cheap suit, uh, instead of standing up. But I mean, I'm, that's easy for me to say. I wasn't in court and, and Oko decided to take the, the judge wanted to end this case. I think the judge understood that the whole, uh, paragraph 130, Folks for Hetzung. Doctor, you asked me about um, the Polish uh, elites, Pol- if um, uh, if they are not aware uh, what's going on, that we are the next um, cannon fodder. Uh, we had those um, elections and stuff like that. The thing is that whether, doesn't matter really, if we have so-called conservative uh yeah, we call them a party of Zionist interests, or whether we have uh, liberals, uh, uh, it's called they call themselves citizen uh, citizens coalition. Uh, both of those parties, uh, when the situation come, they do whatever the United States will order them. You know, they are totally dependent on the United States. They are like puppets. Right, that's the situation. That's exactly what happened here. We have two parties uh, who represent oligarchic interests, and that means primarily the Jews, two political parties that are captured by the Jews. Uh, so at that point, we have to break up these this political logjam by asking theological questions. Uh, we have to be able to uh, articulate the real issue. How do we do this? How do we do this? 
I have a que- I have a question. I I the I have been more successful in Poland than any place else in terms of getting the collaboration of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church saved my book tour when I did the Libido Dominandi book tour. If they hadn't stood behind me, I would have been canceled. There were all these newspapers calling me an anti-Semite. And because the church stood up for me, it was a successful tour. Well, we have to do this again. I tried this in Australia. The bishops wouldn't support me, so I didn't go. I have a, I have a suggestion. Let's have a, a, a symposium in Poland, and the topic will be, was Cardinal Hlond an anti-Semite? That's a great idea. That's a great idea. I think that we need to have this discussion. We need to break this logjam because we have the the legacy of Pope John Paul II, uh, which has now been portrayed as philo-Semitic. The church, he he and Ratzinger changed the position of the Catholic Church, and now we're in a dead end. Visit in a Zakasa geraten. Okay, that's the problem. How do we break out of this dead end? And I think the Catholic Church is going to have to take the lead. The Catholic Church took the lead in overthrowing communism. Remember that? I think that uh, Pope John Paul II had a good effect because he made Poles more Catholic. I'm getting, now it's wearing off. I'm getting I'm getting uh, attacked by Poles who are telling me that uh, you know I'm too I I like Germans too much. I said, uh, "What about the firebombing of Dresden?" This Pole says to me, "I my uncle flew and dropped bombs on Dresden, and his conscience never bothered him." I said, "Your your uncle is a psychopath. He should be in jail." And then I said. Are you Catholic? And he said, yes. I said, well, you don't talk like a Catholic. And I think this is part of what happened when John Paul II died. Okay, people started talking less and less like Catholics. But the what was left was this kind of scum on the bathtub, which is this impression that the Jews are our elder brothers and we have to fight anti-Semitism. And that has crippled the Polish church, this Polish people as well. Even even when I was a teenager, when I wasn't much aware of what's really going on, I always fared, felt kind of itching in my brain about the word dialogue. We had dialogue with our brothers, Jewish brothers or whatever. I mean, my, my thought was always like, hang on a second. Did Jesus Christ di- made dialogue with them? He was just, you know, converting them. He was just... Uh, telling about their sins. I mean, are we, aren't we supposed to continue his, his work? Like, we need to convert people, not dialogue right. with them. Right, okay. you're right. So what's, what's the, both John, Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict went to Jerusalem. These men are the successors of St. Peter. What did St. Peter do when he went to Jerusalem? It's right at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. He walked out and he said, you killed Christ. And then he's, then it says, and the Jews were cut to the heart. And then the Jews said, what must we do to be saved? 
And Peter said, you must be baptized. That's it. That's the story. If, if the successor of Peter is going to go to Jerusalem, there's only one commi- one thing he has a commission to say, and that's what St. Peter said. And what did Benedict talk about when he went there? Dialogue. How we had 50 years of dialogue and how successful it was and blah, 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 blah. He was worse than John Paul II because he was a German. And he had internalized the commands of his oppressors as a German. And the end, the last thing he ever wrote, that posthumous book that came out, Che Cose Cristianismo, it's in Italian, hasn't even been translated. He admitted, he, he, he gave, caved into the rabbi and said the church was the creator of anti-Semitism in Europe. He never said that before. He used to say that the Nazi, Nazism was a, a neo-pagan ideology. That's exactly what Lond said in the letter. So Lond in that letter says, well, it's true. The Jews do promote pornography and, and, and you shouldn't shop in their stores, but we can't as Catholics, we can't follow this neo-pagan ideology that's coming out of Germany. I think that this is the discussion we, we, what the entire church has to have because we have to get back to the traditional position because this other position is not working. One Catholic country after another has been taken over because they're paralyzed. Sons, because they don't understand what it means to be a Catholic because they've got this false understanding now. What did Sun Tzu yeah. say? Sun Tzu, the Chinese philosopher, said, if you don't know yourself and you can't identify the enemy, you will lose every battle. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Ireland. They don't know themselves. Every Irishman who says he's white doesn't know who he is. And it's being promoted by the government and they're too stupid to understand. And as a result, you cannot identify the enemy because as soon as you will use the word white, the Jew disappears. You can't identify the Jew. And that's the problem. Across Europe, we have this existential crisis in Europe right now that I think can only be resolved by returning to Catholic identity. It's the only thing that's going to preserve Europe at this point. Uh, I think that that's because Catholicism actually supplies us with instruments to describe ourselves and the reality, both spiritual and physical. Uh, what I've noticed, for example, in in the United States, when I listen to to American internet, we have those all those conflicts between different groups in society in, in society, and very often um, criti- critics of of this madness, of this wokeness, or of feminism. They very often say things like society this, society that. What society? What do you mean by saying society? There are certain people of influence and they have names and they have ethnicity. Why don't right. you mention that? Yeah, well, that's uh, Archbishop Chapu of Philadelphia wrote an article in First Things which is a conservative, conservative magazine. It was created by Jews, okay, to co-opt Catholics. Anyway, he said, uh, uh, we uh, no longer say prayer in school. He's talking about public schools now. Why is that? Well, he said, secularizing activists. Who are these secular? 
name, give me a name of one secularizing activist. The irony here is that the school prayer decision originated in Philadelphia. It was Shemp versus Abington School Board. It's a public school just outside of, of Philadelphia. Well, why did you say that, Your Excellency? Uh, do you know the name of the lawyer? The lawyer's name was Leo Pfeffer. Does that tell you anything? Oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you who he was working for. He was working for the American Jewish Committee. Well, now we have an identity. Now we can identify the enemy, but he won't do it. He should know that. He was in Philadelphia. He should know. If he didn't know that, he shouldn't write the article. And that's the so-called conservative uh, bishop. Yeah, doctor, from the uh, war in Holy Lands, we came to cultural war war in the United States. We, we would like to talk with you about it more uh, in, 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 in the future. Uh, but at the moment, I think that we pretty much... Um, uh, like our time uh, has has gone, uh, we would like to thank you very much for your time and for for your input. And I hope that we will meet again. I'd be happy to. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, doctor. God bless you. You're welcome. Dziękuję państwu za uwagę. Byliśmy świadkami kolejnej rozmowy i Michaela Jonesa i Tomasza Łupiny na tematy związane z obroną cywilizacji i <śmiech> chrześcijańskiej cywilizacji łacińskiej. Ta wojna toczy się w tej chwili globalnie na całym świecie i globalne są również zagrożenia. Dziękuję bardzo za uwagę. Wszystkiego dobrego. Z Panem Bogiem.